You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here with the Locked On Nationals podcast. Coming your way, it's a bonus edition on a Sunday, February 28th, 2021. I know that today the Nats are playing their first spring training baseball game. They're playing the St. Louis Cardinals down in Florida, but uh, I have the back part of my conversation with Matt Wyrick to play for you guys. We broke down the pitching on the Friday show. We're going to break down the lineup on today's show. So even though the Nats are playing a spring training game, all this stuff, still pretty evergreen, still pretty relevant. Until the season starts, it's going to be relevant. So I think you guys will enjoy this conversation between Matt and I. But first, there is a piece of news we have to get to. And look, my podcasts tend to run long, uh, if you guys have noticed. I've got a couple that are shorter, but... Typically, when I talk to somebody, the podcast can get a bit longer. They can go in that kind of uh, 20 to 30-minute range. Well, from now on, all the shows are going to be three segments. So all of them are going to be in that 20 to 30-minute range. If you guys listen to me over at the Locked On Big 12 podcast, that's how long those are right now. So this podcast will be going to that length, uh, which means more Nats content for you guys as the season ramps up. So that's good news for all parties Involved. All right. I hope you guys enjoy today's show conversation with Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington. So moving on to the lineup, uh, it's something that you had touched on before. I mean, I I'm excited to see how it, you know not not from a it's going to be lights and firework you know New York Mets Atlanta Braves type thing. It's just how it's going to be, you know, composed because the big key was providing protection, right? We got to protect Juan Soto, and um, I think there is something to the fact. Josh Bell is the key for me. Kyle Schwarber, I kind of feel like I know what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. Josh Bell, I think without now that he's not the centerpiece in the lineup, and now there's a chance that he's going to see more fastballs, right? Because you're going to have to pick. Who are you going to pitch to? Because you can't avoid Trey and you can't avoid Juan and you can't avoid Kyle and you can't avoid um, Bell. You can't avoid all of them, right? So somebody you're going to have to pitch to. I want to see what happens when Josh Bell gets a steadier dose of fastballs. And I think him having him in the lineup, that's where my eye, my eyes go. I'm wondering mm-hmm. how you feel about kind of that situation setting up in the season. Yeah, you know, he talked earlier today actually to reporters about how he used to hit behind McCutcheon in the lineup, and that was mm-hmm. like a similar situation. You know, pitchers didn't want to face Kutch. They they came around to Bell, and he really relished that role of, of uh, you know, okay, they're going to challenge me. You know, I, I can I can put it in the seats. You know, let's see what happens. So he's at least excited for it. Uh, you know, he's been working. Uh, with Kevin Long and, and Tim Bogar already uh, to get ready for this year, work on a swing. He's a guy who tinkers with the swing a lot. So, you know, we're probably going to see him uh, have a little bit different of an approach than he did the year before, which will be a little bit of a different approach than he had the year before that and same yeah. and so on. So, you know, Bell, Bell's a definitely interesting case. Davey uh, didn't guarantee that he's going to be hitting behind Soto, but basically mm-hmm. said that's probably what's going to happen at this point. Right. And he's also talked about hitting Trey Soto one, two. He likes that combo a lot. Uh, so we're probably looking at Bell being in the three hole, uh, which really does put an onus on him. So yes, you know, you're, you're after Soto and you know, you're, you're 
not necessarily the best player in the lineup, but you are hitting third. And that's, that means a lot, you know, for the rest of the lineup, because as you said, you know, having those guys behind you, Kyle Schwarber being that home run bat, you just getting on base will be important as well. You know, they're going to rely on, on bell to, to be a guy who hits for power for sure. Uh, but if he, you know, he can just keep the, the rallies going and get on base, you know, he ha- is going to have guys behind him who can drive him in as well. So uh, the Nats, the Nats lineup is very interesting. It's, it's actually, yeah. we might be looking at, the first time since they moved to DC in 05, uh, the first time that they have three 30 homer hitters, you know, and we're, and we're talking about a lineup that we're not sure about in it's saying, Oh, does it stack up? We're literally might be seeing something out of the Nationals lineup that we've never seen before. Uh, you know, so this is, this is a new look. The Nats have in years past been, you know, all about making contact and getting on base. They're changing approaches. Now they're, they're getting away from that offensive identity, that identity that, Davey Martinez has preached uh, for the last couple of years and, and really leaning into the home runs now uh, as so many other teams are doing and they're seeing it successful. So, uh, you know, while they're taking a bit of a risk here, they're, they're trying something new. And I think you got to give them credit for that. Uh, you know, when they're trying to extend this, this window, even though they hate hearing the word window, uh, you know, trying to extend this window of contention while right. they still have these starters, I, I think trying this home run surge and tapping into that is definitely a way to go. What are your thoughts on the Trey Turner one set of one, two thing? Because for me, it, it, it cuts both ways, right? Like there's a certain amount of, well, once again, once you're two batters in, but those guys are out of the way and now you're relying on other people to go and go out and get the job done. But also too, I mean, good luck, good luck getting those, both those guys out several times a game, right? There's a good chance that one or both of them is going to get on base at least a couple of times. Right. And so, um, you know, is it just, you think it's about kind of creating those scoring opportunities, right? It's almost like, if you take enough three pointers, some of them are going to go in, you know what I mean? Type deal. You're, you're going to, you're going to create scoring opportunities. I mean, if those guys are even shells themselves, you'll still create scoring opportunities. Where are you kind of on the one, two thing with Soto and Turner? Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, you're giving your two best players, the putting them in the two spots that give them the most plate appearances over the course of the whole season. So that right there is trying is, is maximizing their value. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my one caution about hitting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with Trey hitting leadoff. I think, you know, his on-base percentage around 350 in his career, you know, obviously the, the stolen bases are there too. He'll get into running into scoring position for the guys behind him. Never had a problem with Trey hitting leadoff. I mean, he, he just yeah, looks no, like a leadoff hitter, right? Yeah, it's where, yeah, he belongs there. Yeah. It's, it's a question of, do you want Soto in the two hole? Right. And, and my thing is, is if you hit him right behind Trey, you know, Trey is going to steal bases. And when he steals bases, the guy at the plate can't swing if he wants the base to be stolen. And so you're now putting yourself in a position where your best player, Juan Soto is going to have to give away strikes and, you know, just, you know, every so often for Trey to run. And do you want to put your best player in a position where you're taking away pitches that he could be doing damage with? So that's, that's my thing. Uh, but when you have Trey turn on the base pass, you're going to get a lot of fastballs. And we have seen what Juan Soto can do with a high fastball. So, you know, it, it definitely is a double-edged sword. Uh, there's, I think there's really, you know, a lot of ways you can go with it. And one way is really not all that much better than the other. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting to consider hitting Trey third, um, but I think you would need another high OBP guy up there in the, the, that top mix. Yeah. And I don't think they really have it. You know, Bell and Schwarber are definitely power guys. Starling <laughs> Castro collects singles, but he doesn't really have the, the walks that really make him, you know, a one, two type hitter at this point. Uh, you know, Victor Robles has shown that potential, but we just haven't seen him have the plate discipline. Uh, Carter Q 
key boom is, is obviously still a major question mark at this point. And Jan Gomes is Jan Gomes. So, you know, I think they don't really have somebody that fits that mold uh, to make the case of, oh, we should move Trey back or, oh, we should sp- separate the two of them because, you know, they're far and away the two best hitters. The two guys will get on base consistently. Uh, and I think you just got to take advantage of that as much as possible. So it's interesting, the back part of the lineup, that's where a lot of questions are going to be because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know how you, I mean, obviously stack the top four in a certain way. Um, I assume fifth, they're going to hit Castro. You know, if he's fully good to go. I mean. Yeah, probably. Davey has said earlier this off season that he sees him being in the mix for the top of the order, which tells me fifth. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I would assume that he's fifth right now. So that get, and then once again, I mean, I was so dismayed that there's no designated hitter. Like what? Like Matt, what I the hate hell? The designated hitter. I'm sorry. I, it's just what the hell? Are you what? I know. I'm Why? really in the minority. I'm really. Why they don't pay Max Scherzer to hit baseballs? I pay him to because pitch. it's not real baseball, man. No. It's just, listen, hey, listen. Okay. Jason Stark has thrown out a, a compromise, and I am all for this. Okay, when you pull your starter you are pulling your DH as well. And you are opening up that spot to then have to make double switches. Or, you know, if your reliever's coming up, you've got to pull them. Because I just think in the later innings, it's such an advantage in the American League to be able to, you know, hold your reliever for an extra inning, even though that his spot in the lineup would have been coming up. Or, you know, having to make a double switch in order to avoid it, you know, and pulling a valuable player. You know, it's just, I just love the strategy okay, of so it. so I understand this. So I think about it from a broader perspective because I am a big picture thinking. So this, this is this is big picture brain Josh saying this. Uh, baseball is a product. And yes. as as a force of being a product, I, I don't go to the ballpark to watch Max Scherzer hit. I don't go to the ballpark to watch um, Doug Fister. You know, like we had to watch Doug Fister pick up the wood. And, you know, uh, Rick Porcello last year had a grab of that. You know, when, when just wait till you see John Lester. Oh, oh, no, I, I can't <laughs> wait. You know, uh, Bartolo Colon a couple of years ago, I forgot what team they were playing. He told you tell it was actually the Nats. He told Wilson Ramos he was going to take every single pitch he saw, and and they threw him a curveball. He's like, no, throw fastballs on the swinging, and they just struck him out. So my problem is this: in football, on a two point conversion, we don't make you put your punter in at wide receiver, do we? No, because your job, your punter's job, is to punt. So I, and I get it. I understand the strategy part of it. I, I, I really do. But from a, like a product standpoint, I, 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 we don't need Max Scherzer in the cage getting, breaking his nose, trying to bunt because we, you know, that's not what he's paid for. And mm-hmm. so I just think from a like overall standpoint, it's also ridiculous that we have 15 teams that do one thing and 15 teams of the other. And Hey, I we're, agree. We're, we're playing at the angel stadium. So today, you know, uh, Max Scherzer mm-hmm. doesn't get to hit like what a, what an arcane way to yeah. decide who, who is who, who is and who's not. Anyway, back to the original point of the Nationals back into the lineup. Um, it's just like, okay, Jan was awesome last year, but we're really not sure if we're going to get that Jan again, right? And then you've got, obviously, Carter, who it's, I mean. Big question you know, mark. How much time, and this is kind of where I want to go next. How much time do you give him? Because like, he, like we talked about this, they want to win. So the patience with him, if he's just a black hole in the back of the lineup and they're getting guys on base and he can't drive men and it's a huge issue, what do you do? Because this is a guy who was their number one prospect who is supposed to be not a transcendent talent, but a very good one and projected to be a very good baseball, you know, everyday guy. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Because they want to win, but also development takes time. How do you balance those two things? 
Well, the, they're in a good spot because right now they've got two of their top infield prospects, you know, chopping at the bit to get into the majors. We saw Luis Garcia last year playing at second base and Yazel Antuna, who's actually listed as their top infield prospect now because Garcia and Kiboom have exceeded their rookie limits. Uh, he's actually their top infield prospect. They added him to the 40 man roster this off season. So mm-hmm. they have a little bit of depth there with guys with high upside that they think could probably fill in uh, if Kiboom were to struggle. The big question, like you said, is, is how long, you know, he will have to, to prove that he can stay. I would guess two months, uh, you know, but that that's just coming from me. That's not coming from the Nats. You know, we're, we're just going to kind of have to wait and see. They're telling him, Hey, the job is yours. Like, you know, last they did year, that last year, they did that last year. Though. But this is the thing. They said it was his job to lose. That's not what they're saying. Now they're okay. saying the job is yours. And yeah. they had his Drupal Cabrera who, right from the get-go he started opening day i mean he was mm-hmm. at third base so they they made clear up front that you know this isn't you're not going to be an everyday player you'll get right. good playing time you know we'll sprinkle you in but he didn't get the everyday at bats you know mm-hmm. cabrera was was had a good mix there obviously his ineffectiveness kind of just had them you know move on and start playing in brock holt or whoever uh down the stretch josh harrison i think played. it was rough at third base last year yeah, it, it, it got rough <laughs> at the end but I would see them going with him for two months, giving him that opportunity because, you know, 44 games, 44 games is nothing at yep, the major league. I agree. And, and the first 11 or so were 2019, you know, when he came up for 10 games, hit the two home runs at the, you know, and then kind of just really struggled after that. And that was like his, you know, eyes in the lights moment when, you know, he was just like, okay, this is what the major leagues is like. He went back down to, to spring training, extended spring training and spent the entire rest of the season down in Florida, working with the coaches down there, preparing for the next season, getting ready to play third base, comes back, COVID hits, come, he has to step away for two months. Then he comes back again, you know, and then has this weird split situation with his dribble Cabrera. So he hasn't really had a legit major league opportunity to this mm-hmm. point that we see most prospects get. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they're going to give him plenty of time that they believe in him the way Mike Rizzo put it. We have too many eyes on him who believe they, that he has all the potential in the world uh, to not give him a full shot. So uh, I think that's something that nationals fans, some, you know, wanted them to go out and get a third baseman, you know, find somebody to really solidify the middle of the order, but they see key boom. You know, this isn't just about this year. This is about, five years from now and you might be you know preventing your your coaches and and your team from finding out that key boom is someone you can rely on if you're going and signing you know a justin turner or whoever you know to play third base uh because you're just putting him off uh until the future uh you know quickly on luis garcia where do you foresee him i mean i think for him it's got to be like he's got to be in the minor leagues this year because oh he will he just yeah i mean and like do not do not try to bring him up you know, for spots like, like, like if he, he needs to play, mm-hmm. he needs to play in the infield because that was a, that was a disaster last year. And I know it was one that they couldn't avoid, right? Like it was, they had to do it, but that kid can hit. He's going to be able to hit major league level. We already know he can. He's just got to be more consistent in the field. And do you, so do you think they're going to make sure he gets those reps that he needs, you know, in the infield so that maybe in a year or two, because they I already saw what I needed to see as a hitter. Uh, to mm-hmm. be honest, you know, and he'll get bigger and, you know, he's what, 20 years old now, 20, 20 now. Yeah. Ago? Yeah. So what do you, what do you think that situation is going to be? Yeah. He was the the first player born in the two thousands to hit a home run in the major league. So if yes. that tells you how young he is, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that the nationals are not looking to rely on him at least to start the year. They've always had their top prospects 
playing every day, whether that be in the majors or the minors. They don't mm-hmm. bring them up until there's a full-time opportunity at the major leagues to play every day. We saw it with Trey Turner, how they created an opportunity in center field for him. I don't foresee them doing that uh, yeah. with Garcia, but <laughs> let's they, hope they not. Let's, let's hope yeah, not. Let's let's hope not. Well. We would, we would be very deep in the hole if that's, if that's what's <laughs> happening. But um, yeah, no uh, Garcia, I actually thought he, he did pretty well defensively. He had, he definitely had some you know, errors where you were just kind of like, yeah, major he was trying yes. a little too much, you know, yes. but the tools are all there. I mean, right. he, they actually say he might be one of the best defensive players in their minor league system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they really, oh, he had it. some moments of defensive brilliance. It was just yeah. he, like every single play we got to be, you know, consistent. 100%. So yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have him in the minor leagues. He's going to keep working. You know, he's a player who at his age usually doesn't reach the majors for another two, three years. So, you know, anything before that is going to be gravy. Uh, but l- like we were talking about before in tuna, uh, you know, he's, he's around the same age. They could decide if he's having a better year to bring him up even before Garcia, if there were to be an injury or two, um, you know, and, and try him out at second base or at third base. Cause he can play both. Mm-hmm. What do you think for middle infield depth? This is the last thing we'll get you out of here, but middle infield depth, you know, we think Harris, I mean, I'm going to assume Harrison's going to be obviously with the team. He, that's yeah. a guy last year that to me they made such him. an, Im- yeah. I mean, I love, yeah. I think everybody watched those like this guy, I just makes team better. Like the team loves him and the guy will fill in wherever you need him to. Um, do you think if things go wrong at third, they basically just put Josh Harrison or somebody else at second and bump, uh, they bump Castro over to third. What do you, what do you think? Let's just say things go wrong. Just if you're Matt and you're pulling the strings, what would you do? You're the manager. What would you do kind of to address that, that second base or third base situation, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely Josh Harrison's going to be their main guy that they lean okay. on, uh, at least for spot starts and things like that. Now, if there's a long-term injury, you know, if, if Trey Turner were to get hurt or Starlin Castro or Carter Keyboom proves to be bad and they, they need a more longer-term solution, I think we could see them pull up one of those two prospects just because he those two guys probably have a higher ceiling than Harrison at this point in his career. Harrison. Right great Swiss army knife, you know, can fill a lot of holes for them. And uh, you know, if he, he needs, somebody needs a day off, you know, he's going to be the guy filling in. So you're, we're going to see a lot of Josh Harrison this year. Granted he stays healthy uh, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, if things go right, I could, could see the nationals upgrading in with a bat at the, the trade deadline, you know, mm. if they were, you know, if Starlin Castro, you know, isn't hitting very well, but the team's doing well, I could see, you know, them going after a second baseman, uh, you know, Trevor story is going to be a free agent after this year, you know, do you acquire him and move him over to second base? Uh, th- there are a lot of different ways that the nationals could make an in-season upgrade. We don't usually see them do it for a bat. You know, the, the only two that come to mind for me are is Drupal Cabrera um, and, Kurt Suzuki, I guess they acquired Howie Kendrick in the middle of a season two. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, but all, all three of those guys, when they acquired them, you know, they weren't acquiring like a Manny Machado. Right, exactly. Or, yeah. Or yeah, anything yeah. like that. You know, they weren't getting a serious upgrade for the middle of their lineup. I think the Nationals could be in a position where we actually see them do it, especially since they didn't acquire, uh, you know, an infielder right now. They have a decent amount of space under the luxury tax left. I estimate about 14 million. Uh, available to them to make in-season upgrades. Now, a little bit of that is going to have to go to performance bonuses and things like that at the end of the year. So maybe a little bit less than 14 million, but you know, the deeper you get into the season, when you acquire somebody, the less you're going to have to pay them because it's only a prorated amount of their salary for whatever is left for the rest of the year. So, uh, you know, by the time we get to the trade deadline, the nationals could actually be in play, you know, for a top guy, which is, it's kind of a contrast from what we've seen in recent years when they've been really up close to the luxury tax. Like in 2019, when they got three relievers, it was Rowanis Elias, Daniel Hudson, and Hunter Strickland. You know, they were a co- worth a combined like 3 million. 
I mean, it right. was it was really you know, they were going for the bargain bin. You know, Shane Green was available at that time, uh, and a few other you know big name relievers. They weren't in on any of those guys, you know, and they had kind of even though they had one of the worst bullpens among all contenders, that was kind of a situation where they were like, we really just can't afford to get one, so we're gonna have to roll the dice on some guys who you know can come to us a little bit cheaper financially. So this is this is definitely different territory for the Nats. Yeah, it is. I'm 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 so excited for this season because there's so much to talk about. Like, Same. and this team is, you know, there's their position uniquely like to strike. You know, to be, to try to. I mean, over 162 game season, I did not foresee. <coughs> excuse me, foresee them being better than the Mets or the Braves. But if they make the playoffs, it's nobody 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 wants to play them. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and here's the thing: the Dodgers can say they want it all they want. You know, they were Nats were their boogeyman last time, right? Nats are the last team to beat them in a playoff series. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, they're the last team to beat them in a playoff series. That's that's very true. Um, so I just and I think National League this year, I mean, it's it's all killer, no filler, especially for those teams that see themselves. It's just so cutthroat. So I think it's gonna be awesome. Matt, where can people find you and your work? Yep. Uh, you can find my work at NBCSportsWashington.com and I'm on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. You can follow me there where I'll tweet live updates from all the Zoom calls that we're seeing this spring training and post all the links to my articles. I've got a preview series coming out in about two weeks uh, where I'm going to look at every single position on the diamond and rank them one through five for every NLE's team. So uh, I'm really excited to be rolling all of that out. I think it's like three weeks worth of stories uh, previewing the season and the division race because this is going to be a really good division race. And so I want to dive into it as much as possible. Oh yeah. Matt Weidrick from NBC Sports Washington. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Josh.